coming out of a place like Sidwell where success is kind of like a given. That's just like what you're supposed to aim for. I think you can you can try to rush towards that. And I would tell myself like it'll come. Yeah. <laughs> it'll happen at, on its own time. Don't force it. You're listening to Lives at Speak, a podcast highlighting the remarkable work of Sidwell Friends School alumni. I'm Brian Garman, head of school at Sidwell Friends, a pre-K to 12th grade independent Quaker school located in Washington, D.C. In this interview, I sat down with Ava Coleman, class of 2011, from interning at D.C.'s own 930 Club while she was a student at Sidwell Friends, to managing a Grammy-nominated musical artist, and eventually writing for the Tina Fey-produced sitcom Girls 5 Eva, Ava has spent nearly her entire life around the entertainment industry. Currently, Ava is the executive story editor on the Golden Globe and Emmy-winning ABC sitcom Abbott Elementary, which recently concluded its second season. In this episode, we discuss her experience in the industry, how she approaches writing, and the importance of developing a healthy balance and perspective in life. Thanks for being back at Sidwell Friends School. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here. And you're here not just for this podcast, but you are here for Let Your Life Speak Day as well. Correct. Uh, what What are you thinking about uh, telling the students tomorrow? I mean, this whole We have this whole theme of carrying hope forward. Mm-hmm. What's, what's on your mind about maybe uh, sharing with our students? I think, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot and, yeah. and hoping that I have um, a good amount of wisdom to share. I think uh, the main thing is how easy it is to carry hope forward and how I I didn't know that I did. But once this prompt was brought to my attention, I realized, you know, I do do that every day at my work and, you know, through comedy and through writing and trying to just figure out life through stories that I tell. Yeah. Like, that's kind of what we do as writers. Um, and you don't have to think about it too much. It kind of yeah. just happens naturally. And um, if you have a good a good outlook on life and just even a tiny bit of hope, that's usually pretty contagious. What makes your work meaningful to you? I think it just helps me. Like, I, I think I just said, like, understand life. Like, everything yeah. that I write about is something that I'm confused about and I need help parsing. Um, and so I'm I'm taking all the things, you know, things that happened to me at Sidwell, things in college, things in the working force, and I'm plugging that into to everything I work on. And um, just to kind of understand why things happen, why people are the way that they are. And and how to help people, you know, going through yeah. what what we've all been through. The show is very funny. Thank you. And it demonstrates a lot of empathy. The yes. characters demonstrate a lot of empathy for each other. Is that part of what you're trying to get across? And definitely, yeah, yeah. I think that's really important. And I think, you know, in my previous career um, in the music industry, I didn't really have a lot of time. <laughs> For, um, you know, unpacking what other people might be going through and thinking, you know, I tried with my artists and um, and my coworkers. But I think uh, as a writer, you have so much time just to think Mm -hmm. and to empathize and to, um, you know, imagine how people feel. Mm -hmm. And that helps you in the real world Mm -hmm. understand, you know, Mm -hmm. why things shake out the way they do. So you're thinking about speaking to our students tomorrow, which means you must be thinking about your time. At Sidwell, to some extent. Yeah. What stands out to you in your Sidwell friends experiences? I think the the main thing, so many things have come up for me in the past couple of weeks thinking about it. I think the 
you know, people that I often think about are my best friends mm-hmm. and and the teachers that mm-hmm. really helped me. Mm-hmm. I, I went through a lot of hard things at Sidwell. Very um, emotional mm-hmm. child. Definitely dealt with depression in middle school and mm-hmm. high school. Mm-hmm. And so I have these teachers who really helped me through that before I really knew what it was. Mm-hmm. Um teacher Ann Charney. Mm-hmm. She was my advisor mm-hmm. um, and my English teacher. And she, I think, really understood <laughs> that I was dealing with stuff that mm-hmm. I couldn't really name. And she, you know, she let me go talk to Miss Carlene in the front office. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Carlene I would Jackson, yeah, right? yeah, I would leave class if I wasn't feeling well emotionally. I could just kind of be like, can I be excused? And I could go talk to her for, mm-hmm. you know, 10 minutes and get my spirits back up and go back into class. And so I think about teachers like that and uh, Rachel Jackson in the upper school yeah. and, and Lauren Brownlee. Oh, sure. Miss um, Nick in middle school. Uh-huh. <laughs> I had um, the beginnings of. Uh, a health issue that I deal with now called Ehlers-Danlos. I oh, started wow. experiencing that um, in middle school. So Nurse Jasmine, <laughs> I was yeah. always in the nurse's office. Yeah. So I had Amazing these people. yeah, really special teachers that gave me a lot of grace. And then I had my two best friends, Lark Tony and Taylor Riley, mm-hmm. who we were thick as thieves and just celebrated yeah. Taylor's 30th birthday. Oh, that's great. So you <laughs> uh, two stay days in touch ago. regularly? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I was in town in time for Taylor's birthday. And, you know, we talk all the time. And, and those were the relationships that, you know, kept me going through through adolescent troubles. <laughs> uh, you're living in California now? I am in yeah, L.A. Yeah, in L.A. And that's where you ended up after Sidwell France, yeah. right? USC. Yeah. And what did you do at USC that maybe prepared you for what you're doing now? It's interesting. I was on a totally different path. Um, big part of my personality at Sidwell was that I wanted to manage boy bands. That was ah. like my very narrow <laughs> dream, um, very specific, and that came from being a fan girl. So I was a massive fan of, you know, these pop punk bands and um, Justin Bieber and the Jonas Brothers. Like I had all these phases in every different grade, and I wanted to create bands like that and bring them to girls like me. So that's what got me to L.A. Um, I became obsessed with Scooter Braun. Right. I really found him through being a Bieber fan and Uh being a fan of this rapper, Asher Roth. Uh Realized they had the same manager and said, great, I'm going to do that. Um, Ended up meeting Scooter while I was still in high school, said, well, and he told me, I mean, you're a kid, but if you ever grow up, and um, moved to L.A., you should apply for an internship. So that's what got me to apply to USC. That's what got me to L.A. I see. And by the end of my freshman year, I started working for him basically full-time throughout school um, while majoring in comm and minoring in music industry. So Uh screenwriting was not on the radar at all. And I went through a whole seven-year career um, that actually kind of started at Sidwell with my uh, senior project at 9.30 Club. I oh, did a wow. Month at well, yeah, my daughter Club. did a project at 9.30 really? Club also. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. that was my first job, first thing in the music industry, and then I went off to work for Scooter um, and kind of went in a totally different direction. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But, but your family was in entertainment, right? right? Mm-hmm. And, and your mom, who's got a new book out, yes. right? Yes, Must have been an influence on you. Yeah, she was. I think that was part of what made me feel... Um, A little bit different than the other students at Sidwell. I didn't ever feel like I had similar dreams to the Mm -hmm. people around me because I do, 
you know, think my exposure to the entertainment industry from a young age was just very different from right. the typical Sidwell student. Yeah. They were and groundbreaking really, entertainment too, really, right? Yeah. Yeah, really cool stuff. I got to see a lot of really interesting things for for a young girl living in D.C. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I looked up to my mom and still do a, in a lot of ways. And also she set the bar very high for right. me. So I always felt like if I became a music manager, I had to be the best one in the world ever so that I could at least get close to the levels of success my mom reached, which I've kind of let that competition part of it go. And <laughs> and now, you know, can focus on my creative pursuits. But yeah, her and my dad, my dad's a successful lawyer, yeah. um, really uh, were great examples for me and my brother. So you, you came into this thinking at first you were going to be managing musicians. Right. And then you make this tr- transition to writing. Yes. T- talk to us about how that came about. How What was that process yeah. and how you discovered it? It was it was very slow and then very fast. Uh-huh. Um, so I I did spend about seven years I think at um, Scooter Brown Projects and did all the different roles uh, at that company. And while I was an executive assistant um, and still a senior at USC, I came up with the idea for the Bieber Comedy Central roast, um, which was a way for the world to be reintroduced to Justin Bieber, but also. Um, to show him, you know, being able to poke fun at his past and, and yeah. kind of take under, you know, take responsibility. I, I had always seen him as a very funny, charismatic kid, which was not really what was being talked about. Right. Um, and so I thought a roast would be a fun way to kind of bring that to the forefront. And through that process, um, Scooter and my boss, Allison Kay at the time, they let me you know, be involved on all the calls and, and listen in and, and help pick people for the dais, you know, the people that mm-hmm. would roast and be roasted. And that was my first inkling. And that was 2015 that, oh, I might prefer the comedy and the writing and the television aspect of this industry. Yeah. Um, but I'm already, you know, starting to get my own clients as a manager. And so I wasn't quite sure how to detangle myself from the music industry. So I just kept going in it for like four more years until um, 2019. My cousin Cara turned 30 and threw herself a birthday roast, asked me to write and perform a five minute set. And I wrote it, had the most fun I'd had in years, performed, I killed, and I quit my music job the next month to focus on writing full time. So that was the transition mm-hmm. was through comedy yeah. specifically. Specifically, yeah. yeah. Which surprised me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do do you have uh, influences and in, uh, comedic influences that, that stand out to you? I do. But it's funny because I didn't know that they were influences until – you know, 2019 when I started writing, I just thought they were things that I liked. But um, I really grew up, my time at Sidwell, I was very into late night television. Okay, Huge yeah. Conan O'Brien uh-huh, fan. Sure. Always loved SNL. Um, but all the all the late nights, like, um, you know, Fallon and uh-huh. Seth Meyers. And um, I really enjoyed just watching funny people talk. It wasn't necessarily that I was watching sitcoms thinking, oh, I can do that or, oh, I want to make one of these. It was more just I was fascinated by funny conversations yeah. and interactions, sketches. Um, and then as I got older, you know, people like Michaela Cole and Phoebe Waller-Bridge and I love British anything. Yeah. I think, think British comedy is is right up my alley. So there have always been, um, you know, great shows from overseas that have really inspired mm-hmm. me. Um, and yeah, so, so the, it's, it's a wide, wide ranging group. And what do you like best about writing for television? 
actually, I've never thought about it. Yeah. I think it's just, um, it's really nice to work with other people. Yeah. Um, to work in that collaborative writer's room um, is a really good brain exercise. And even on days where you feel like you maybe didn't contribute that much, the people around you are still brilliant mm-hmm. and smart. Like we all are allowed to have our off days <laughs> and our good days because it is a team yeah. effort. Um, so getting to to create with other people and then have a broad audience for it and people actually see it and actually interact with it, that I never expected that to be my life. So it's been really fun to to be able to, you know, think of issues we want to share with the world and talk about and then actually have the world participate has been really nice. And love it. Yeah. And yeah. Love it. Yeah. What's that process look like when you sit down and you're trying to come up with the next episode? Walk mm-hmm. us through what that one of those uh, those discussions might look like. Yeah. Feel like. So we're led by Quinta Brunson, yeah. and then um, we have two showrunners, um, Justin and Pat, and they they will guide us on on all the you know planning and logistics and, and what we need to get done. Um, they will lay that out very clearly for us, so that as the writers, we can come you know with just the creative ideas, just the spitballing. The we call it blue skying at the mm-hmm. beginning of the season, where we just are throwing anything out, and you know if it sticks, then we double down on that idea, see if we can, um, you know, put it into beats, into into like a three act structure. Is there enough mm-hmm. in this? Um, idea or problem to fill out an episode. Um, But, you know, we also talk about it from the uh, angle of what does this character know? What do Mm -hmm. we want them to learn? What do we want to see them learn and experience? You know, um, where do we think they should go? And so, you know, we treat these characters like real people and they feel very real to us. Um, So, you know, each episode and each topic comes about a little bit differently but i think we always start from that very human place of like what's real and then how can we make it a little silly yeah it it sounds like you spent a lot of time on character development that's my personal favorite part of the process i think is thinking about voice and character development that's the part that comes naturally to me i'd say i lean more on my coworkers for like the plot, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, sometimes that comes with the character development. You just yeah. have a feeling of what someone would do. But for me, it's, it's much more interesting doing like the character study aspect of mm-hmm. it. Um, and so that is what I tend to think about yeah. the most. Yeah. You can feel that in the episodes that you've written. Oh, thank too, you. Right. So yeah. we were talking a little bit about um, Barbara mm-hmm. and the way she's developed. You said you liked her. What is it I that you like her. about Barbara? I love Barbara because she um, she's lived a lot of life. She's very yeah. comfortable with who she is, but she's pushed by the young people around her to reexamine yeah. that. Um, and, you know, she's very stubborn in a lot of ways, but she's she's actually a lot more open, I think, than it seems at first glance. And she does learn a lot and she does, um, you know, admit to her mistakes though it takes some time. In a very sophisticated yes. way. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's very interesting for me to write for someone of her generation because that's my parents' generation. Yeah. So there are a lot of things that I work out through the character of Barbara. And then there's a lot of things that I've just seen, not even just from my parents, but their friends and other people in my life of that age. Like 
there's so many differences between them and, you know, my generation, how we handle emotional issues. Yeah, and yeah. Um, and so it's been really fun to kind of step into those shoes because in some ways I feel like a very old soul. And then other ways I feel like I haven't changed at all since I was at Sidwell. Right. <laughs> so it's yeah. nice to be able to go back yeah. and forth between all those um, personalities. I guess. So she's the mentor teacher. Right. Yes. She's very successful. Mm -hmm. uh, and in Fire, mm -hmm. the, the great character development, I thought, was um, her admitting the worries she had about her spouse and the way she shared a, shared yeah. those, especially with the little boy. It's a very mm -hmm. moving scene. Did you that's that you came up with that? That's your your writing and your character development for her? Um, it, you know, we all came up with it together yeah. as a group, but but I definitely honed in on it and, yeah. and wrote it out um, from the outline stage into an actual script. Um, and that moment with the little boy was really nice for me because what I felt was Barbara, you know, she'll open up to her friend, Melissa, and tell her mm -hmm, this is what's mm -hmm. going on within my family. But she's not going to go around and explain that to everybody because um, it's not really everybody's business. And, you know, she hasn't done anything so wrong that she has right. to, like, beg for forgiveness mm -hmm. and explain everything. But when she sees that little boy... Um, and I think that was largely Quinta's idea was to have her see a student still afraid and then that be kind mm -hmm. of the awakening moment for mm -hmm. her. I like the way she kind of spoke in code to him of mm -hmm. saying, you know, we all get scared, not saying, you know, not telling too much and obviously nothing that a small child wouldn't understand. But I, I thought it was very in her character, <laughs> the way she yeah. she broke it down for him. And, you you know, you see it in Cheryl Lee Ralph's amazing performance. You see it in her face and her eyes, like how big it really is. But to this kid, it's just helping him get through yeah. the moment. It's very sweet. Yeah. Very sweet. And so is the relationship between Barbara and Janine, which yes. by the time you get to mom, the <laughs> yeah. most recent episode, mm -hmm. seems to have changed quite a bit. Yeah. How, how have you conceived of that, you and your peers, in, in terms of the arc of that relationship. Yeah, I think, you know, it's a very real thing that that a lot of us have felt is you you have these members of your family that are not related to you by blood and you meet them, <laughs> you meet them yeah. in in many yeah. different ways and places and and oftentimes it it's not a a perfect relationship and I think that that's what um pulls me in towards Janine and Barbara so much is like they do butt heads a lot, yeah. but they care about each other. Um, and you don't really butt heads with people like that when you don't care about them. You know, yeah. that's kind of like part of the bond. And like yeah. you can only get annoyed with someone that much when you love them um, and you really want to see them do better. So I think, you know, that relationship has taken a lot of different turns, but the, the truth of it is that they are there for each other and mm -hmm. they need each other, um, which I think is fun to see a character like Barbara realize, you know, this is a person who I didn't know three years ago. But now, you know, I'm sure she can't imagine her life without yeah. her. So it's been really nice to follow that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so why do you think this show is resonating so deeply with people right now? <laughs> what is it that it, I mean, speaking to our moment in some yeah. way or some concern of our moment or some joy in our moment, what, what is it that, what do you make of the success? You know, I'll be honest. I don't make that much of it. I try to stay out of it. Yeah. Um, 
I love that people love it, and I loved it. I joined in the second season, right. so I wasn't a part of the first season, and I watched it as a fan, and I felt, you know, how grounded it was. So I think that's part of what attracted me to it is that it's silly, but, again, it's real, and um, it's heartwarming, but it's not spoon-feeding you any mm-hmm. sort of, you know, lessons are learned. I love I love lessons. <laughs> I love um People, you know, hopefully being able to walk away having learned something or felt a new feeling or, you know, put the pieces to some puzzle together. But it's always a fine line. You never want to be too heavy handed with that. And I think that um, the bosses at Abbott are great at managing that. And I think it comes through. Um, But I also think it's funny and people want to laugh. And it's it's um, a wide ranging level of of comedies and and humors and different types of jokes like there are jokes in there for my mom there are jokes in there for me and there are jokes in there for hopefully you know Sidwell students so I think that um, there's a little something for everybody which is really nice it's very inviting thank you (laughs) and what about the lessons you mentioned Mm -hmm. lessons that are learned from it what are some of the most important lessons that you want to convey uh, through it not that it's didactic yeah. necessarily, but there are there are these little gems in it right. uh, that make each episode um, and in part want you to come back for more, right? That's part yeah. of what makes you come back is there are these little lessons. What, what have been some of the most successful lessons you've conveyed? You know, I, I have the things that I hope people gather from my episodes and we've touched on those a little bit. But I think the main thing that, that we've done and Quinta's done so well is show how important teachers are. Yeah. And um, that's been really amazing for me to be a part of because, you know, some of the writers have parents that were teachers or still are teachers. But where I'm coming from is, I, you know, I was a student. And so yeah. it's it's realizing in retrospect um, how important those figures are and, and how much they deserve. And obviously mm-hmm. they deserve to be paid and to live comfortably. Um, but also that these are like, you know, they're not your parents, but they do a lot of parenting, and yeah. and they're they're incredibly important figures, um, with rich inner lives. You know, they they yeah. bring they bring a lot of stuff to school with them, and still do their jobs. Um, so I think that's the big lesson that we carry through every episode, and you know that's part yeah. of the the show's DNA. And then, uh, as far as other lessons, I think it's just what people take from it. You know, you try not to to control the reaction, yeah, sure. but just make sure that they, they end up feeling something. And that's that's the most important thing. How does the principal end up being named Ava Coleman? <laughs> it's a funny... No, it's a, um, it's, it's a coincidence. So basically, I knew Quinta socially before the show. Okay. Um, but not super well. <laughs> well enough that the name Ava Coleman sounded like a good name to her. And then when I ended up going out for the job, season one, um, I read the script as you do before you go on these um, staffing meetings in in this business. And I'm reading the script at 6 a.m. with a cup of coffee and almost spit my coffee out. So I'm like, okay, that's not just my first or my last name. That's, you know. That's the whole thing. So basically, she she liked the name Ava, wanted to name the character Ava. And then Coleman fits. That sounds yeah. nice, too. And um, 
it was just a big mistake that ended up being, you know, very silly and funny, especially when I joined and the crew was like, excuse me? <laughs> what do you make of her character? How do you think of her in the show and in, in her relationships with mm-hmm. others? I mean, she, she, uh, my, my wife said, well, she's the character who has the most growth to do, mm-hmm. uh, right? Mm-hmm. One of the most growing to do. How do you think of her? I think she's very real. Um, and I love writing for her because I get to share these parts of myself that I would maybe keep a little quieter. (laughs) I get to put those words in her mouth. Um, you know, just the things about enjoying the, the luxuries of life and, you know, um, sometimes it goes way too far. Right. But it's. It's not necessarily wrong. She got, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's just levels to, um, you know, extravagance. And right. and I, I love how Janelle James uh, plays her. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, she's definitely a complicated figure, but she brings a lot of chaos, but also joy to the school through her antics. And, you know, I tend to root for her. I think yeah. I think she's a really important presence. <laughs> I love this piece. Uh, I think it was in, in Mom with uh, mm-hmm. Gregory and Shanae and, and the, yes. the, the over, bonding over the Orioles. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was it, it. And it seems like Jacob plays that role yeah. a lot. He, he tries to create these situations where uh, he brings out the best in people. Where right. He tries to bring people together. Yeah. That was a really fun story to write because um, it shows it shows a lot of things. But what it, what really I took away from it is you just can't force things, right? It's like it's nice to connect with people, but it doesn't work when you're doing it just to connect. So that you know that's kind of where I feel that Gregory and Jacob learned a lesson in that because Jacob at the beginning is like, "Well, just fix it," and it's yeah. like, "Well." That's not really how life works. You know, yeah. you can't just start getting along with somebody. And, you know, they all kind of realize that this organic bonding experience of rooting for the Orioles is, is what's going to do it for them. But no one could have guessed, you know, that that would be the thing or that that would wash away their previous, yeah. you know, beef. So I, I really enjoy Jacob's um, good intentions and then realizing sometimes that's not all it takes. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and so we're talking about Baltimore, but how did we end up in Philadelphia? What what led to the the setting of the show there? Um, Quinta's background. She's from she's from Philly. Her okay. mom was a public school teacher in Philadelphia, and so that was really important for her yeah. to just show that specific part of of her story and and what she's seen and and what she knows those teachers deal with on a daily basis. So it's fun, you know. To have that proximity to D.C., obviously, different places, but yeah. I, I know enough about Philly and spent enough time in Philly to, to feel like I understood um, where we were coming from. Yeah, I've spent some time there, too, and it does a great job of tapping into okay. the Eagles and the yeah. Philly. Right. There's a there's an authenticity to it. Right. Uh, there's the South Philly characters mm-hmm. right? There, and diff- characters from different neighborhoods. And yeah. it just seems like it, it seems that it has a real sense of place. Mm-hmm. Have all the writers spent time there, or is it just happenstance that you and uh, you've been there? And yeah, and- um, most of the writers have spent a little bit of time there, and some of them, uh, some of the other writers are from Philly area or Pennsylvania, and then others, um, I think, just know about it, <laughs> just yeah, did the yeah, research yeah, and, yeah. and and get it through osmosis from from those who yeah. are from the area. Um, 
So that's been really fun, I think, to have the different perspectives um, that can all, you know, be placed in Philadelphia. TV has changed so much, mm-hmm. not necessarily since you've been writing, right? right? But yeah. certainly since you experienced it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read a piece that was in the Times recently that talked about how uh, before the streaming era, mm-hmm. we would all have watched the same show and would all come in and talk about it the next day. Right. right? So I can remember that with, uh, let's say, Cosby. Mm-hmm. Um, I can remember it with uh, iconic shows like Friends. This particular article was talking about Seinfeld. Okay. Right. Uh, is there – has – what has changed about the ability of uh, television to uh, create community? Mm-hmm. Or are we just creating it in a different way now? I'd just be interested in your perspective on that and how it might affect your writing. Yeah, I think we're creating it in a different way. And I think it's it's a lot more um, small communities that we're building around shows. So, you know, it isn't that same appointment television um, that that I remember from, you know, a few years ago. But it is, you know, you can build deeper connections with people on more specific shows. And, you know, like I'm into Korean dramas, which, Mm. you know, Mm. it's very different than what I do for my work. Um, But I've been able to, you know, make friendships about uh, surrounding those shows um, that we all watch at different times, Mm -hmm. you know binge watch or you know however yeah. um but it's it's more of a common interest but just with the with the smaller community and i think i think it's good i you know it doesn't bother me yeah <laughs> I, I think it's 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 all um positive if it's helping you connect with other people what are you watching what's really good in yeah. your view other than uh, other than abbott elementary it's a great question I mean, I don't watch a ton of TV right now other than Korean dramas because I do feel like it's so different from work that it yeah, takes you need my an mind escape. off it. Yeah, you but know, I can't I usually can't watch uh-huh. education shows. Right. But I can't watch Abbott Elementary. That's great. Right. I like to uh, <laughs> and, and the only other show that I could watch it is an academic show, mm-hmm. uh, but that was was hard to watch. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was very good. Was the chair? Do you know that? Okay, piece? no, I, yeah, I remember yeah, yeah. on Netflix. That yeah. was very good. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I need to check that one out. I mean, I think the main thing I'm watching, which does still kind of have that appointment television um, vibe, is Succession. Uh, how can you not watch yeah. it? <laughs> right. That last episode yeah. was killer. Yeah. So right? that that show keeps me on my toes and it gets me very excited about what we do. Is Yeah. TV what do you writers. like about it? It's so um, outlandish in in the I'm overusing the word real, but in the real stories it tells like these are I think a lot of people view the characters as all bad uh-huh. and no one yeah. to root for. Yeah. But I find it. You know, I find them all very intriguing and very complicated and and deeply sad in a way that's also funny. Um, And I love that. I love being able to. I love dark humor. I love it's um, dark. The way that they, (laughs) the way that the unexpected ways they make you laugh on that show, um, and the way they can you know release the tension through a laugh and and the sharp turns that they take. Um, and it's just a world that feels so far away from anything I've ever experienced. But again, you feel like even though you might not know this like super rich New York type of family, you know, people that act like, 
you know, mm-hmm. parts of all of those characters. So it's it can be um, very cathartic in ways as yeah. well. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's interesting. You talk about dark humor, and and I think about also White Lotus. Which yeah, was, did you? Did you? I love White Lotus. Yeah, yeah I really enjoyed yeah. that. Mm-hmm. So that there is your kind of humor is in that too, right? right? It's a it is darker, right? Right, mm-hmm. but there's also there's some there's something that comes from that dark humor. How how would you see that as different from the type of humor that you're providing um, at? Abbott Elementary, right? Which is which is a yeah. kind of feel good humor. Yeah. What's the? Is there a different function that the dark humor serves? I think um, it can be, but I do think we actually can veer into that lane on Abbott as well. Like the way that we talk about certain teachers, right? That that aren't good, mm-hmm. or the teachers that that aren't putting their best foot forward. Like we do, we can do a bit of satire. Um, mm-hmm. As well, and I think that that's kind of what the the White Lotus and Succession yeah. teams do so well. But yeah, I mean, there's there's comedy that's supposed to make you feel good, and there's comedy that's supposed to make you think. Right. I I don't I don't ever try to figure out what kind of comedy I'm writing when yeah. I'm writing it. I'm just whatever happens, and it, you know, if it's the right fit for what we're working on, then we keep it in, and if not, we take it yeah. out. But um, yeah, I think shows like White Lotus have been able to kind of, um, you know, make you laugh through the pain of yeah. what you're watching and how how upsetting it actually is. But um, it also shows you a whole different world that you, um, you know, didn't know existed or, yeah. you know, the, the, the underbelly of, of these different yeah. cultures. So, yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, interesting episode on um, Abbott Elementary mm-hmm. is when Jacob teaches black history. Mm-hmm. How did that come about? That whole uh, the thinking about that, and yeah. and it, because it's very it's it's such a very timely topic mm-hmm. and such an interesting one. Yeah. Um, how did that come to fruition in the episode, and and what did you think right. um, was conveyed through that? You know, I'd love to give the writer who came up with that idea credit, but I don't remember. Yeah. But I do remember talking about it. And and my feeling about it was, you know, it's all about not all, but a lot about the intention behind what you're doing. And Jacob's intentions are very good. So I think to the naked eye, you know, it's interesting to see a white teacher teach a room full of black students about their history. But that's the reality of the situation. He's their teacher. That's Mm -hmm. what they need to learn. Um, So I think it's. It was really interesting to show his self-awareness about it. He knows who he is. He knows that it's kind of funny that he's the one teaching them this. But he also takes that responsibility very seriously um, and is a good teacher. Mm -hmm. And so that, I think, being able to show he's a very funny character and he he takes a lot of, of jokes at his expense. But what we do know about him and what that episode was able to remind our audience of is that he's really good at this and that the school's very lucky to have him. So, you know, the parents can have some misconceptions, but the truth is he's making a difference. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that the, it seems to me that the show does is to just suspend judgment Mm -hmm. all the time also. Yeah. Uh, Right. And, and to, uh, I mean, you've used the word real. Mm -hmm. It's there, there, Beautiful little stories about how people relate to one another in very imperfect ways, right. but still in ways that are very meaningful. I mean, I think about, uh, again, Jacob getting his co-teacher up on the fire engine. 
Yes. Right. That yes. was a sweet moment. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. He engineers these. Right. And and it seems like the writers are trying to engineer these moments of interaction yeah. that provide a, a kind of insight to us and a, I don't know, a, a moment of happiness. And, and again, where we started the conversation mm-hmm. of hope. Right. Yeah. Right? The show is hopeful. I, I totally agree. And I think we're coming from a place of, you know, these teachers need much more than they have. But what can they give each other yeah. and, and what can their students give to them? You know, that doesn't cost money and that that yeah. isn't about what the district has made available to them. It's just about those interpersonal connections that that yeah. get you through um, yeah. hard times. And there's plenty of need. Yes. But there's also uh, plenty of vitality and creativity there and good intentions and, mm-hmm. and love, actually, right. for one another and for the students. Right. Which is a beautiful thing to see. Mm-hmm. You've also done some work with Tina Fey. I have. Yeah. Talk, what about that project? What stands out to you? What, yeah. what did you learn from it? What did you enjoy about it? Oh, I learned so much from, I was on Girls 5 Eva for two seasons, the first two seasons of that show. Um, the third season will actually be on Netflix. Um, uh, the first two were on Peacock. But that was my that was my first job in a room. And so I learned everything there. I learned how to be in a room. I learned how to contribute. I learned when to speak up, when to to listen. Um, but I think the main thing I learned was just how to write jokes from, Mm -hmm. you know, some of the best in the business and, and the way that that team, Meredith Gardino and, um, and her team over at Little Stranger, the way they write jokes is fast and furious. Every line is funny on their shows. So I had to learn how to write, um, just as funny as possible and then everything that I do from that point on will just be scaled back <laughs> scaled back so like I I think I got the crash course in in comedy writing um at a very very high level and and it it was it was like I was thrown into the deep end but with very supportive people um and so I I just learned how to really really write precisely and write funny and um and I've taken those lessons with me, you know, over to Abbott. So that's been yeah. really great. What other projects might be on the horizon for you? What are you thinking about me? And anyone who's a writer always has, yeah. uh, you know, kind of a drawer full of projects. What right. are you thinking about? Um, I'm really interested in movies. I, I like the fact that they have endings, <laughs> unlike shows, which, you know, you kind of have to think very far into the future. But I've written um, a project that's based on my time at Sidwell, um, not necessarily about like the academic part of Sidwell, yeah. but very much based on on how I felt as a teenager. And, yeah. and I'm really interested in investigating those adolescent feelings and, and anything coming of age is very yeah. interesting to me. Um so there are characters from my time at Sidwell that, you know, I haven't seen since I've been here, but are still very relevant to my life because of what we experienced together and what they taught yeah. me. Or How they shape um, you. A hundred percent. So um, I'm very interested in those kind of like teen comedies of like just making um, – Making funny situations out of, of growing pains. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I love, like, romantic comedies, and I'm working on some stuff in that arena um, that I think just answers a lot of questions or tries to answer a lot of questions about, you know, what it's like being a, 
almost 30 year old woman yeah. <laughs> at this time in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and what what films do you especially enjoy? What comedies have you found especially uh, yeah. important to you? Uh, um, I think my favorite comedies would be like 10 Things I Hate About You, uh-huh. um, Lady Bird, you know, like those kinds of uh, things. My favorite movie of all time is not a comedy, but it is a teen movie, which is A Walk to Remember, uh-huh. um, which is very high school and melodramatic. Yeah. But um, well, there's a whole genre of yeah. those, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, so yeah. You, you, you're building into the genre. You've got you've got uh, an installment plan. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, I mean, I like anything just with like a cute love story and a coming of age story. And um I'm like, why don't I know what my favorite movies are? There's this movie called The Duff that's another high school movie. Just things that that kind of bring me back to that time. Because yeah. I do think high school was like, not. I don't think I peaked in high school, but I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and I like going yeah, yeah, back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like thinking oh, about it. Oh, that's great. Yeah. yeah. What would you tell your 18-year-old self? I mean, you'll be talking <laughs> to our students tomorrow. <laughs> I know. What, what advice would you have for yourself? Um, I would remind my 18 year old self that this is life is not a race. Yeah, (laughs) I would say definitely take time to be a kid. Um, I think I started working, you know, at the end of my freshman year of college and, um, that was for Scooter Braun working then. And it was, as you said, it was almost a full-time job. Yeah. I was interning for like the first couple of years, but like three to four days a week and, you know, spending a lot more time there than at school. And I think um, that was all good for me and I wouldn't change anything. But I, I I do think that, especially coming out of a place like Sidwell where success is kind of like a given, that's just like what you're supposed to aim for. I think you can, you can try to rush towards that. And I would tell myself like, it'll come. Yeah. <laughs> it'll happen at, on its own time. Don't force it. Yeah. Um, you don't have to compete with other people. It's really like your life and you're in control. Um, I think that would have been a really good lesson. And I also probably would have told her like, don't, well, you can't really tell someone not to be insecure, but I'd I'd yeah. I'd be like maybe don't be <laughs> yeah yeah maybe try to be more confident. <laughs> sometimes we need to, sometimes we need to grow up yeah. for that right mm-hmm. yeah exactly. There's there was no reasoning with eighteen year old me like the insecurity was there yeah. and it's still there in many different ways. But I think I was very hard on myself, um, and I would I would suggest lightening up. How did you work through that period of being so hard on yourself, and and how have you been able to get perspective? Um, therapy. Uh-huh. I think that's been the biggest thing. I've always been very reflective and, you know, I always wrote in high school and, and that was the one thing I always knew I was good at. Um, I didn't think about it as a career, but yeah. I knew that, you know, when I would write an essay, I was going to do well. There was the science and the math of it where I was like, yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Um, but the, that has always helped me. I've always been very good at thinking about my feelings. But, you know, I think therapy, which I I was in therapy throughout Sidwell, and then I've taken breaks and gone back. And I think just having that person to give you perspective and that person who's not fully engaged, like, in your life, um, to be able to, you know, point you in the right direction of of how to work through these insecurities and, and what's real and what's not um, has been the biggest thing for me and and. I definitely um, have gotten a lot better at utilizing um, 
that resource in my late 20s. <laughs> well, and there's a lot of pressure mm -hmm. uh, when you come out of school, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You mentioned, the, you know, everybody thinks that you're going to succeed. Mm -hmm. There's a kind of pressure that comes along with that. How did you navigate all of that? Because it, it takes a certain amount of courage to, mm -hmm. to step away from that in, in a mm -hmm. way and say, well, I'm going to do this at my own pace. Yeah, I think I was forced to do it. Um, I don't think I was handling the pressure well at all when I was in music. Um, and I grew really unhappy um, just from not taking care of myself and um, never stopping. Mm -hmm. And so when I left to become a writer, I think a lot of people saw that as like a brave leap of faith. Mm -hmm. and, and I can see that. But what it really was, was I was burnt out and I had to stop. And I knew what I wanted to do instead. Yeah. So I just said, fine, I'll do yeah. it. But it wasn't like I'm going to take this big, you know, leap. It was really like there's no other option. I have to stop doing what I'm doing. Um, and so that means I have to pivot. Yeah. It was a lot. Of, it takes a lot of courage to do that, though. Thank you. And to, to immerse yourself into something in the way that you have and then to achieve the kind of success that you've. Yeah. Uh, been able to find as a result of it. How do you feel about that? Right? I mean, did you ever think that you'd be working on a <laughs> Golden Globe winning sitcom? No. I really had no... It feels very um, separate from me. <laughs> I feel like I, you know, I'm very connected to, to Abbott and I'm very proud of the show's success, but I tend to kind of put it... Uh, on the table next to me and, mm -hmm. and think, you know, I, I think I learned the hard way that, um, your job cannot be all of who you are. Mm -hmm. It cannot be mm -hmm. your entire mm -hmm. personality or the only thing that you have going on. I still am not great with like hobbies and things yeah. like that. But, um, you know, I try to, I try to, um, not engage too much in the positive, uh, discourse around the show because then to me I would have to also engage in anything negative that comes up and and I don't want to do that so I just kind of try to stay stay out of it but also you know I want to make the best stuff that I can so I work really hard and and I enjoy you know going to the parties and going to yeah, the award yeah, shows yeah, yeah. that that's very exciting to me and very fun but yeah it kind of feels like Maybe there are two versions of me, and there's the work version that gets yeah. to experience all that, and then I kind of go home and just feel, like, regular. <laughs> that seems pretty healthy to me. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, it feels good. Yeah. I think sometimes people think I don't – I'm not, like, celebrating wins or – but I, I do. I feel very excited for everything, but I also know that that's not everything that there is in life, so. And you've achieved an awful lot. <laughs> Mm -hmm. uh, in the time since you've left here. Do you have any dreams uh, that you'd plan to pursue other than the screenwriting? That's a good question. <laughs> um, I think the main thing for me right now is just taking it one day at a time. Um, I want to, I guess my dream would be to be open to anything and kind of go uh, whatever ways life takes me. I like being flexible. I think switching careers in my mid-20s taught me that you can change your life whenever you want. You can do it again if you want yeah, to. Yeah, exactly. And I'm not opposed to that. I think, yeah. you know, I love writing and I'll write for my whole life no matter what. Um, but I don't know what I'll be writing or if that'll be all I'm doing. Um, but, yeah, I really just want to have 
like a good, happy life. So yeah. <laughs> whatever I can do That's to a good achieve goal. that, yeah. Yeah, and that that same I, I, it's such a great piece of wisdom mm. to offer our students too, because you can come out and think that you want to do a particular thing. You mm-hmm. can come out of the school, or you know, you might want to be an attorney, you might want to be right. a doctor, you might want to be an engineer, you might want to be a teacher, right? Mm-hmm. You might, uh, but to remain open, yeah, to other possibilities that mm-hmm. may not have occurred to you, yeah. I think D.C. can be tough on that. I think it's it can be a very, you know, you pick a thing and you go for it forever. And and that's good if you love it. But a lot of the times people pick something that they don't love. Yeah. And my vote would be stop doing that yeah. if you can. Obviously, not everyone has the ability. But sure. if, if that's an option yeah. or if you can make it an option, I would always vote for that. Yeah. This has been so nice to talk with you. Thank, thank you. you for making time to be oh, with us. Thank and you. Thank you for coming back uh, for Let Your Life Speak Day. You clearly have a lot to share with our <laughs> students. We're very fortunate to have you back, and we're also very proud of everything you've accomplished. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. That was so fun. Yeah, it was fun.